Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I've got uh, quite a show for you today. I'm looking forward to getting it started with Dr. Uh, Laurel Shaler, uh, because I think all of us have had, you know, blind spots. We have blind spots, right? We all admit to that. No problem. And But blind spots can be maybe bad relational habits that keep us from really enjoying our relationships fully. Maybe, you know, we're a little too judgmental or maybe we're a little envious how a friend has been blessed because we're struggling. Uh, Maybe you're even a little insecure, heaven forbid. And maybe we're questioning uh, every movement a friend makes or and and we're hoping that we're going to still be loved. So that might need a relational reset. And that's the title of her book. It's called Relational Reset, Unlearning the Habits that Hold You Back. Dr. Laurel uh, Shaler is my guest, and she is a uh, uh, professor and author, and really glad to meet her for the first time. Laurel, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, you've got quite impressive credentials. I didn't read them all, but you've got a whole bunch of them, and uh, you you paid attention in school, didn't you? (laughs) Well, a little bit, especially as I kept going and realized (laughs) I was going to have to pay even more attention if I wanted to keep going to the next level. Yeah. Well, I really am intrigued with your book, so thank you for uh, doing the show. Uh, Let's talk about relational reset. Maybe you can start by sharing what are some of the indicators that a person is in need of one. Yeah, definitely. So I would say that anyone who has a strained or even a broken relationship, maybe they're tired of struggling because of relationship difficulties. Maybe, as you noted, they feel insecure, or maybe they're easily offended, constantly afraid of rejection. Or maybe they're having a difficult time communicating with others. Perhaps they constantly feel misunderstood or defensive. Those are all signs that someone might be in need of a relational reset. But I really think we can all use some help from time to time with a relationship. Mm -hmm. I would agree. No, I I mentioned briefly the insecurity, and you've already pointed that out. So if if you deal with insecurity, how do you silence that? Well, I think insecurity is one of the main reasons why we don't address conflict. Uh, We are concerned that we might lose that relationship or that something negative could happen, that it's going to make it worse if we try to address it. Maybe we don't believe that we're a strong enough person to even handle it or we're concerned the other person might become aggressive or or even passive aggressive when we're trying to – you know, address some kind of conflict that we might have between the two of us. So I think with insecurity, one of the the most important things that we can do is we can remind ourselves who we really are. You know, society talks a lot about self-esteem, but I think it's more important that we look at self-worth because our self-esteem is going to change based on, you know, whether or not we got a good night's sleep last night or had enough coffee today. Mm -hmm. But our self-worth is who we identify ourselves as being at the core so I think that's a really important thing that we have to do in order to improve our self-worth and improve our security. Laurel, my answers to those last two questions are yes and no. Yes, I got a good night's sleep. No, I have not had enough coffee today, <laughs> just so you know. 
Uh, but, I understand. I mean, our our identity in Christ is really where our self worth should come from, because the self esteem that comes and goes. I mean, that's that's fickle. Absolutely, it's very temperamental. It it, it changes very quickly. <laughs> but if we can know for sure and stand on the promise of the Word of God that um, we are His, then and that you know we we are loved by Him, we're made in His image. Uh, if we can just stake our claim in that truth, then that's going to go a long way in helping us to feel secure. Mm-hmm. I know this is going to sound uh, a little nuts, but when you're fe- when you're when your feelings have been crushed, and we talk about God loves you and everything, which He does, and but sometimes it's hard to move that to the forefront of your mind. Yes, it can be because yeah. we can get stuck. Right, we get right. stuck in this idea that. No, we're unlovable. We're not worthy. No one cares about us. And we kind of have a little pity party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do we know if our expectations are realistic in a relationship? Well, I think we have to acknowledge that everyone with whom we're in a relationship will at some point disappoint us. If we've been in a relationship with them long enough, whatever it looks like, a romantic relationship, parent-child neighbors, church member, whatever, we're going to have, we're going to disappoint, experience disappointment. They're going to disappoint us and we're going to disappoint them. So Mm -hmm. I think we have to recognize that uh, we can't expect too much of other people. We can't expect them to be perfect or put them on pedestals. Um, we, We can expect healthy boundaries, respect, love, but definitely not perfection. So I think that's something that we have to keep in mind. Um, and also, I think we need to consider that we want to grow more Christ-like as our relationship with Him deepens. So we can't browbeat other people into meeting our expectations. We can't convict them. We're not their Holy Spirit. Uh, we can share our preferences with them, but we can't make them change. So I, I think, again, setting boundaries, maintaining reasonable expectations is helpful and healthy but it's not helpful to decide that because the person isn't who you want them to be, then they're not a worthy person and they're just a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Dr. Laurel Sheeler is my guest. She's written a book called Relational Reset, Unlearning the Habits That Hold You Back. Uh, Laurel, how do we uh, put a spin or reframe or maybe redeem is a better word, uh, some of the disappointments we experience in life? Yeah, so that's so important for us to consider how we handle disappointment Mm -hmm. really will dictate how our relationships falter or flourish as a result. So if we're disappointed in someone, we can reframe that experience in an honest way. So it's not about lying to ourselves or trying to convince us that we're not disappointed, but to think about maybe the positive in the circumstance. Uh, one example that, I, that I've thought of is, you know, if you've been overlooked for a promotion or a special role at work, maybe that gives you an opportunity to have time to do something else, or maybe there's a better opportunity for you down the road. So I think not just looking at the negative in that disappointment, but also reframing that to how the Lord might redeem that for you in the future. I love that. That's speaking truth to yourself and saying, this is, um, I've got, I'm under the Lord's sovereign control and this didn't work out like I thought, but there must be something different that he's preparing me for. Yeah. And and taking the time to grieve, like this isn't, it's not to minimize the disappointment Mm. or the loss. We can still grieve it, but then to be able to, to, continue moving forward, pressing on, as Paul talked about. Yeah, I love that. Laurel, what is uh, the root cause of not addressing relational conflict? 
Well, I think the root cause of not addressing relational conflict lots of times goes back to that insecurity, but just fear. We're just afraid in relationships. Um, maybe we find that we have to constantly walk on eggshells around someone or we're just not sure how they're going to react to something. Um, Sometimes it's because they're a part of a bigger group, like maybe it's a member of our family or our church or, again, our workplace, and we don't want to upset the apple cart. Um, Or maybe we just, we love them and we don't want to lose the relationship. So we just kind of take whatever the conflict is and you know, maybe mm-hmm. there are times when we have to be willing to be assertive and to stand up for ourselves and, and express our, our needs and our desires, um, again, without expecting the other person is automatically going to change for us. But at least we can talk with them about what our preferences are. And I think we have to work through that fear. Mm-hmm. Laurel, Laurel, when you talk about afraid to lose, I always think of the promise that God makes that I will never leave you or forsake you. So it seems kind of natural that the liar you know the guy I'm talking about, he'll Mm -hmm. say the opposite. You'll end up alone. You'll end up by yourself. No one will want to be with you. That's right. That is definitely a lie from Satan. Totally. Um, He just tries to convince us. And, you know, he he is the the author of all lies, the father of lies, and he is going to try and convince us um, that if we, that we just should succumb to our fear um, and not trust what God has promised us. Mm-hmm. Laurel, how would how do you stay emotionally healthy when you're in the middle of a messy uh, relationship? Well, I think one one something that's really important is to surround ourselves with people with whom we do have a solid relationship. Sometimes we concern ourselves more with what's not going well in our lives than focusing on what is going well, and we start to allow it to consume us. So maybe there's someone that we're, we're upset with um, and we're like obsessively checking our email or our text messages to see if the person has contacted us. Mm -hmm. And that results in us losing focus on the positives in our lives. We become anxious, overwhelmed, stressed out. Uh, But I think it's important for us to surround ourselves with people that we do have a solid relationship with and especially those that can point us back to the Lord, point us back to the Word of God. Um, We need to be seeking godly counsel. And sometimes, you know, we might need to meet with a pastor or even a professional counselor in order to help us work through those those tough emotions that we're struggling with. Laurel, if you are in a messy relationship, is there a good chance that both people in, involved are emotionally unhealthy to some degree, though? Well, I think if you're in a messy relationship, it, there's there's something going on. Now, sometimes it might be that you know, we want to blame the other person, but as hard as it is, a, a lot of what I try and talk about is how we can take ownership over our own stuff. So I'm going to, you know, try and hold up a mirror to myself and, and do some self-reflection and, and to determine what's going on for me, um, that, you know, what role am I playing in the midst of this relationship? You know, if there's a lot of conflict, chronic conflict in the relationship, what am I doing? Now, that doesn't mean that I have to take responsibility for the other person or for everything going on, but owning my own portion and then being able to separate that out from what the other person might be contributing. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about fixers. Uh, Maybe you've got some advice for people who are fixers. We only have about 90 seconds before we go to break, but we'll pick it up at the other side if we have more to talk about. But um, I know a lot of men in particular want to just fix stuff. Oh, yeah, and I've done my fair share of trying to fix people, too. I know lots of counselors, social workers. You're a licensed counselor, Laurel. You should be fixing people. 
Well, I want to help guide them in, 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 into um, allowing the Lord to, to work work on them. Um, but we do try and fix people in situations, and we have to wrestle against that, knowing that ultimately we really can't fix anyone. We can try and help them when it's appropriate, but it's really not our job to fix them. And if we try and do that, they might become resentful of us or upset with us, and that's really not worth the risk to the relationship. Mm-hmm. Dr. Laurel Shaler is my guest. Her book is Relational Reset, Unlearning the Habits That Hold You Back. When we come back from a break, I'm going to ask her this question. What is the miracle question that you have asked lots of clients in an effort to help them dispel the past? That and lots more when we come back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Laurel Shaler as my guest. She's written a book called Relational Reset, Unlearning the Habits that Hold You Back. She has a miracle question that she's asked all uh, lots of clients in an effort to help them dispel their past. I'm very curious as to what that miracle question is, Laurel. Well, I wish I could take credit for developing it, but it actually comes from a a type of therapy called solution-focused brief therapy. It was developed by a married couple named Steve DeShazer and Insu Kimberg, and there's lots of variations, but it goes a little something like this. Imagine that while you're asleep tonight, you're given a miracle, and when you wake up, your life is exactly what you would like it to be. How would you know you have received a miracle? And so I've asked this question many times over, and what's remarkable is that not one client has answered with something outlandish. Nobody said they want to be a billionaire or they want to move to a deserted island and and be alone. Instead, every single answer was reasonable and realistic. And what it allowed them to do, yeah, it's really, it's remarkable. It allowed them to prioritize their lives and to set goals focused in the present rather than focusing on the past. It really does help you to focus on the future, to move forward. Again, I I have to go back to pressing on towards the prize that, that, that God has called us to. Um, we have to press on towards what's ahead. That doesn't mean we're never going to address the past or uh, process the past or deal with or cope with the past, but that we really can come to a point to where we are centered in what God has for us today and for the, all of the days that he has ordained for us here on, on earth. Mm, that's so interesting. I probably would have gone with the eccentric billionaire guy. You know, so I could be like yeah. an European aristocrat or something. But anyway. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about uh, being offended and people get offended. It seems like more so than ever, we're getting more easily offended and our our guard is up. And, you know, how can how can we uh, um, how do we know if we're just one of those people that are just so easily offended? Well, I think if we have our feelings hurt easily or frequently or other people tell us that they have to walk on eggshells around us, or maybe we constantly expect others to apologize and we just kind of wait on an apology before we um, 
are able to reconcile with someone, I think that that is a sign that we're easily offended. And, and we do live in an age where many people are easily offended, but this really has more to do with our own personal relationship. Um, so if we are finding that we are so often offended, that's something that we have to check in our own hearts and spirits um, to explore why am I allowing everything to get to me? I have a good friend who um, says, that we need our Q-tips and the Q-tip stands for quit taking it personally. And I think that's something helpful. I like that. I like that a lot. What about uh, developing empathy uh, towards people who have hurt us? That's not always easy. It's not always easy. And it's often confused with sympathy. So it's, it's not about feeling sorry for someone, but it's more about identifying with them, putting ourselves in their shoes reflecting on what it might be like to be that person and why they may act the way that they act. Uh, I think that that can be helpful for us when we are able to think about what would it really be like to be this other person. Um, It helps us to understand why they may have made the choices that they made. And sometimes it allows us to um, not feel so angry or hurt or offended or upset or disappointed by what they've done or said. Mm-hmm. Laurel, can we change uh, parts the parts of our personality? Well, that's a good question. There's there's two kinds of personality characteristics. There's trait personality characteristics, and those are, are the ones that we're born with. Okay, our God given traits, and then there are state personality characteristics, and those are the ones that are temporary. So maybe someone's go to emotion is anger. Is this something they're born with or is it something that they've developed over time? More likely than not, it's a habit that they've developed. So if this is a habit that they've developed, then it's something that can be changed or replaced with a different reaction or emotion. Uh, Specifically with anger, it's often used as a mask for other emotions. So God has given us the ability to get angry, but we're not born angry. That's not a trait personality characteristic. That's something that we experience based on other circumstances, and we can learn to to change that reaction. Mm -hmm. What if you have a hard time letting something go? I I know I struggle with that on occasion. I have a hard time letting stuff go, maybe because I don't uh, feel like I have in my heart uh, a full understanding, so I remain a little confused and trouble letting it go. So maybe you could coach me on how to let stuff go. Yeah, I think one tip for letting things go is, and every time I hear that expression, I think of the song from Frozen, you know, the Let It Go song um, that my daughter, <laughs> five-year-old daughter, has has sung over and over. But one tip for letting things go is, is trying to determine how long this issue is going to matter. Um, is this a, a major issue that's going to matter the rest of my life or uh, years from now? Or is this something so minor that it's probably not even going to come to my mind tomorrow or next week? So if it's minor, it's better to let it go because if it's if it's bigger, then we have to look at you know forgiveness and reconciliation and whether or not that's possible. Um, you know, we are commanded to forgive. You know, the scripture is clear on that. I think about the discussion between Peter and Jesus in Matthew 18 when Peter asked how many times he should forgive his brother when he sins against him. And Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And the real message there is that we just have to keep forgiving. My pastor says, stop counting, keep forgiving. And that's much easier said than done, but that's what we're called to do. But there's a difference between that decision to forgive, decisional forgiveness, and the emotional forgiveness when we actually 
feel like we have forgiven the other person. And what we do in between those two things can make a big difference in how um, how we wind up feeling about ourselves and other people. Mm-hmm. Dr. Laurel Shaler is my guest, and she's written a book called Relational Reset on learning the habits that uh, hold you back. And Laurel, why is it so important and maybe even critical to be able to uh, talk straight to someone? Well, really being aggressive, passive, passive aggressive, those won't get you very far in a relationship. But when we're assertive, you know, clear, assertive communication, that's what's best. That's when we can describe a problem behavior, describe how we're impacted that behavior, and share what we would prefer in the future. So talking straight means being aware of how powerful our words are and using them to build up instead of tear down. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we confuse assertiveness with aggression, and we think that if we stand up for ourselves and that's being aggressive, but so much of this has to do with our tone, with our our body language, and with the words that we choose to speak. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about uh, building others up, not tearing down, I was just thinking too, I don't know where this thought came from, uh, but sometimes when we are in prayer groups or small groups in church or we sometimes share gossip as prayer requests, uh, talk about why this is probably not a good idea. Yeah, and I think we've probably all been there where we're hearing something shared (laughs) as a prayer request and really um, the intention behind what's being shared is is not kind. It's not really about prayer. So the real issue here is the heart. Uh, So when we gossip about others, we not only run the risk of negatively impacting our relationship with the ones we're talking about, but also with the ones we're talking to. So we have to be mindful that that can be harmful for relationships in all different directions. Mm -hmm. Then how do we, uh, Laurel, stop blaming others and, and take responsibility for our lives? Well, I love um, a quote by Cloud and Townsend. They wrote um, the Boundary Series, mm-hmm. and they said, blamers have a character problem. Uh, no one wants to be around someone who always blames others for every issue in their life. Um, but if we're able to acknowledge when we're wrong, if we can speak up and say, I'm sorry, this was my fault, um, even when we're not totally to blame, we can at least ask ourselves about our level of responsibility and own up to that. Um, that can go a long way in um, building up a relationship. Mm-hmm. Laura, we just have a couple of minutes left, but when I think of fear of inadequacy or abandonment or rejection, how can we fight against these? Yeah, and we we talked some about this, and, and it really goes back to that issue of fear and fear being a mm-hmm. liar. It tells us not to bother. Um, it tells us that other people are going to reject us. They're going to leave us. Uh, when we're not securely attached to others, we live in a state of constant concern about our relationship. And the only thing that we can do, the best thing we can do, is to work towards secure attachment, first to God, our Creator, and then to others. It takes being honest with ourselves. We have to be realistic about what's going on. Um, but if we if we take a step back and we evaluate uh, the actual reality of whether or not our fears are validated, oftentimes we find that there's no support for our fears. Um, I, I guess Roosevelt was right when he said we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Mm-hmm. Laura, you've been a delight to have on the show. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. I've just uh, really enjoyed meeting you and your book is really good. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you very much. Dr. Laurel Shaler has been the guest and her book is called Relational Reset, Unlearning the Habits That Hold You Back. We'll take a short break and be right back with lots more. 
You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. I hope your day is going well, and I know that whatever it is you're doing today, I hope you're finding purpose and meaning and you're doing exactly what God has asked you to do, living exactly where you're living and being planted in a place and serving God in whatever capacity he has you uh, serving him. Uh, There was a time uh, that we lived in a world that didn't have uh, like smartphones and stuff. So we sort of maintained our our place in life in a certain community and we talked to each other and we connected neighbors and we had a different way of doing life. Now, uh, what's happened in our life now is we've got a lot more options and we spend our time and energy in very different ways. And Scott Hubbard has joined me in studio to talk about an article that he wrote in Desiring God. You can always go to desiringgod.org to check it out. The name of the article is Live Where You Live, Practicing a Lifestyle of Presence. And I think talking about a lifestyle of presence is not only a fascinating topic, but one I think we all should reflect on and think about. Scott, welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's good to be with, here with you, Bill. I think I described that uh, accurately. I mean, we, according to how you start the article, you do say we live. We once lived in a world without cars and screens. People had no choice but to live where they lived. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, you had maybe a few portals into the the wide, wide world. Yeah, I mean, newspapers have been around for a long time before the before the phone, before the car, before screens. You did still have newspapers, but even those are going to be shaped by the place where you live. On the on the top of it, it's going to say, you know, uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune, right, or, right. <laughs> or whatever your town name is. Yeah, and I think this will resonate with a lot of listeners. The second line of your article was. If their home was in the northeast part of town, they worked and worshipped in the northeast part of town. Yeah, that's right. Those, your options were limited. Yeah. You had to uh, make do with the people and things that were nearby because your, your mobility was limited and your awareness of the wider world was significantly more limited, which made the decision about where you're going to live actually not a choice at all. It was already decided for you. You're mm-hmm. going to live where you are. But I think that was a time when perhaps you would know dozens of your neighbors and you'd know them by name and you would know their kids' names and the names of their dogs and everything. You would pretty much know a lot, a lot of your neighbors. Yeah. My wife and I just moved into a new home a year ago. And one of the things that we had to force ourselves and try to do is to learn and meet the neighbors on our block learn the names of them and meet them. And I just thinking now, like uh, uh, in a different time, that wouldn't be something you would have to try to do. <laughs> it would so just true. be something that you do that happens. But now there are so many ways for us to avoid the very people that we live, you know, 50 feet from and to get to know the people who live, uh, you know, 5,000 miles away from us. Yeah, I remember my aunt growing up in, in south minneapolis and there was she she said that we there was a key to the house we didn't know where it was <laughs> and there would be times yeah. when her friends would stop over that was south minneapolis south minneapolis wow. yeah and her friends would stop over she wasn't home 
and they'd just let themselves in, brew yeah. a pot of coffee, and they'd be sitting around her dining room table talking. And when she got home, she was absolutely delighted they were there. Yeah, amazing. Can you imagine that? Well, that's a different world. <laughs> <laughs> At least for – I live in South Minneapolis and – we wouldn't dream to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but people would also yeah. be on their front porch at night. Yeah, just exactly. That they didn't necessarily have air conditioning and there would be, mm-hmm. that's where you'd go to be cool. And everyone would say hi to each other and yeah. there would be community. Yeah, that's right. And there were fewer, uh, you know, because you couldn't get around as far. A lot of your, um, a lot of the, of, of the people you relied on to help out with stuff were just much closer by. And mm-hmm. so getting to know your neighbors was a matter of, uh, necessity as well, because you're yeah. going to need to rely on them. Yeah. That's right. I think we all know what multi multitasking is, but in your article you talk about multi-placing. What is that? Multi-placing is, I just made that word up. I like it though. <laughs> I like made up words. And it's just getting at the idea that uh, the technology that we have today so often can deceive us into at least acting like it's possible for us to live two places at once, to live far away in the distant land wherever we're looking on the internet, sure, and to live at home. But as we probably all have experience, we probably all have experience with somebody who, who uh, it seems like their phone is glued to their hand and they're in a social setting. And every every 30 seconds, every minute, they're looking down at their phone, the thumb is scrolling and uh, you know that they're just their laughter has gone on autopilot, and uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, and uh, <laughs> the, the there, there's an illusion there of, and you know I can see myself in that spot too. I've done the very same thing, and what's what's going on there? One thing that's going on is believing, uh, de- deceiving myself into thinking that I can be here in this world of my phone, while also being here with my kids, here with my family, here with my neighbors, here with my small group. And the reality is when you try to live two places at once, you just don't end up living anywhere very well. Mm-hmm. Scott Hubbard is my guest. You can learn more about Scott at DesiringGod.org. Um, Scott, let me read Acts 17, verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Yeah, so... That's just a fact of creation. One thing God does when he makes us is he makes a place for us to be. See that in the very beginning with God putting Adam and Eve in the garden. And a similar thing is true, as Paul says to the Athenians there in Acts 17, that he chooses the boundaries of our dwelling place. And that word boundaries is interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of the technology that we have today, and I don't want to come across as being a downer on technology, um, but they're just things that, uh, unique dangers, unique threats that it also brings into our lives along with all of the amazing things that it does. And one of the things that it does is makes us feel like we live a boundaryless life, like there aren't fences around our around the place where we live or around our bodies and that we can, uh, in some sense, no longer be the finite, very limited, small people that we are. And uh, we can we can start to reach toward infinity by uh, going beyond the boundaries of our dwelling place and the place that God put us to be. But the reality is that even though our technology has changed so, 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 so much over these thousands of years, um, we as humans haven't changed at all. I know. We still have the very same capacity for attention and the very same amount of energy and the very same bandwidth to love people. And so when we start to give that attention and energy and bandwidth increasingly to our technology, then it's it's just a very limited amount left for home. Mm. Yeah. There's a problem of 
possibly amusing ourselves on the internet to a point where we are no longer thinking as critically and deeply as we once did. Yeah, and again, I'm not absolutely. bashing uh, technology. I love it. Yeah, I do too. I mean, we're, here we are talking on microphones and people can hear us through airwaves. I mean, on their on. smartphones <laughs> as they yeah. drive and they're listening to us yeah. now. So yeah, that's praise right. technology, right? Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. thankful for technology. But uh, we would be foolish to take on all this technology gleefully without also being pretty self-critical about the changes that it brings into our lives. And we can't go back to a world where, you know, you... Uh, easily know all your neighbors by name, where you're required to live and work and worship in the same part of town. We're, we're never going back to that world. No, we're not. But one thing we can do is just wisely consider, given the way that God made us, given the, the uh, expectations that we see in Scripture for how God wants us to live, how can we wisely use this technology in a way that doesn't undermine our humanity? and undermine the mission that God has given us in the world. Mm-hmm. Scott, the only place where Christians can say they 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 live in two places would be uh, Christians who are obviously born again, who understand that we do live in two places simultaneously. Say more about that. Yeah, it's a striking formula that the Apostle Paul has at the beginning of some of his letters. Um, Philippians and Colossians are maybe the clearest, but in Philippians, he introduces it, for example, by saying, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So there are two statements of the Christian's location. In one sense, they are in Christ Jesus. And in another sense, they are at Philippi. (laughs) Spiritually, (laughs) they have been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2 says. And yet physically, bodily, relationally, they still live there in Philippi. And so, yes, that is one sense in which we as Christians do indeed live two places at once. Our identity is in Christ. He is our life. We are hidden with him in heaven Mm -hmm. and we are still here. And one of the remarkable things about that is uh, you might expect, Paul, after saying that you are in Christ Jesus, to give only a kind of otherworldly lifestyle throughout the letter of the Philippians. But remarkably, what he what he does is he talks about how that life in Christ Jesus is meant to empower a full-orbed life in Philippi, uh, where people are, the Christians, the people who are in Christ Jesus, are bringing the life and the light of Christ all through the city and are living locally for the sake of Jesus. So even that, uh, you know, separation or that that um, expansion of, oh, yes, I'm in Christ Jesus and I'm also at Philippi, it, the effect of it is to focus our lives so that we bring the life of Jesus into the place where we live. Fantastic. One of the uh, lines, a couple of lines from your article, and I'm talking to Scott Hubbard, is this. He said, children are instinctively loyal. Dad doesn't have to be awesome. He just needs to be theirs. Poets are relentlessly attentive they they see marvels in the mundane. Most of us, of course, are no longer children and are not yet poets, but with God's help, we can begin cultivating the same loyal, attentive presence to the ordinary people and places all around us. Yeah. Touche. What a great, great line. And the, that uh, image of children and poets comes from G.K. Chesterton. There's this quote that I have in the article where he just says, if you want to understand a place, then you need the loyalty of children, and the great patience of poets. Wow, that's fantastic. 
We'll take a little break as we're continuing our discussion with Scott Hubbard on practicing a lifestyle of presence. I think that's something we can all reflect upon and and ask ourselves how we doing in that department. We'll uh, be right back with Scott Hubbard in just a minute. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. I always like it when Scott Hubbard says, yes, I will be in studio to talk to you. It makes me happy. He is uh, editor at DesiringGod.org. He's written an article called Practicing a Presence of Lifestyle. Live where you live. Practicing a Presence of Lifestyle. You can read that article at DesiringGod.org. I think I said the other day, Scott, that uh, I wasn't trying to be prophetic in any way, but the world is getting bigger and smaller all at the same time. And in your article, you say, living where we are makes the world big again. I'd love for you to say more about that. Yeah. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 104, where basically it's a, it's a creation psalm. And so the author is looking around at the world and praising God for all the things that he's made and getting specific about the heavens and the cows and the hills and the grass and the rain and one of the remarkable things about that psalm is that it was written so, so long ago before he could see, um, I mean, we can see so much more <laughs> than that psalmist could see of creation. Oh, right. We can go higher than he could into the heavens, into the space. We can go lower than he could down to the bottom of the ocean. And yet, how many of us have the same kind of amazement and childlike wonder at the world right outside our front door. Mm -hmm. And so in one sense, our world is a lot bigger than the psalmist's world. We can know what's going on right now in Russia. Mm -hmm. We can know what's going on right now on Mars in some sense. (laughs) We can go, go look at what it looks like right now. Our world is humongous. But in another sense, all of that access to faraway places has made the world right outside our homes very, very small for a lot of us. For all of that, um, availability, often we end up walking through this world with our heads down into our phone, missing the wonders right beneath Mm -hmm. our feet. And so the psalmist didn't have the very access that we have, but what he did have were two eyes in his head and a heart that was willing to be patiently attentive to the world around him. And that made his world so big. And our world too could be a lot bigger if we practiced more often living where we actually live rather than trying to live somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Scott said in his article, Living Where We Are Makes the World Big Again, it awakens us to the everyday wonders in our homes, neighborhoods, and churches. He said it reminds us that the most exciting and urgent matters happen not on screens, but in the successes and struggles of the ordinary brothers and sisters in our small group. That's right. Well spoken. Yeah, I mean, there can be a kind of 
Um, because you have access, we have access on our phones to sensational things mm-hmm. all the time. We can slowly become numb or dull to the absolutely incredible things happening in the or- happening in the ordinary believer in our small group, and the <laughs> the things that are happening there, the the victories over sin, the hope that this person has in the midst of an incredibly dark season, the rejoicing in God the repentance and turning from a pattern of destruction. Those things are, I mean, if we're talking what's going to last into eternity, that's history. Like those are the real stories in the world. And yet we can get so caught up with what's merely sensational that we can lose our wonder in that kind of thing. And the world in our small group, for example, or our churches has become very small. And we look at these ordinary believers and see only ordinariness or look at ourselves and see only ordinariness and not something far bigger, which God's word would train us to see. Mm -hmm. Scott, talk about living in concentric circles. Yes. Give us a seminar on that. (laughs) So uh, if you just imagine a a pebble dropped into a pond and these circles spreading away from it, I think that is one helpful image for um, given the way that God has made us as humans, thinking about what we are responsible for day to day, week to week. All of us have these concentric circles of responsibility where uh, we have relationships that are nearer to us than other relationships. And generally speaking, it is right to say that proximity heightens responsibility. So the closer that people are to you, the greater the responsibility that you have for them. You see that in various places in scripture, like Paul in First Timothy 5 saying that if somebody doesn't care for the members of his own household, then he is worse than an unbeliever. What's mm. going on there? Well, the principle is that before you're obligated to care for somebody else's household, you're obligated to care for your own. That circle is closer to you than the circle elsewhere. And we could look elsewhere as, uh, for that principle too. But if you just think that the people closest to me, the relationships um, nearest and dearest to me are the ones I am most responsible for. It can cut through a lot of the confusion when it comes to how do I spend my time today? How do I spend my attention today? Because all of a sudden, if we're realizing that hours of our time and attention are going to people for whom we have little or no responsibility, namely people uh, <laughs> on social media that we're not nearly related to or people in faraway uh, you know, in news stories from faraway countries or something like that, then chances are we are being irresponsible toward the people uh, that we are supposed to be most responsible for. And so um, one way to put it is to say that time and attention are zero-sum games, which just means the more time and attention you give out, uh, to faraway places, the less time and attention you have to give at home. And if you are a normal, busy person, at least I'll speak for myself. The people nearest to me need all the attention that I can give them. (laughs) Like being a dad, being a husband, being a church member, being an employee, all of that is not a part-time job. And where I have gobs of time and attention that I can give to other people. Like if I'm doing those things right, it's going to take 168 hours of my week. Um, I mean, including sleep in there. <laughs> it's going to take everything. So it's not like I have a ton of just discretionary time and attention. Yeah. To give. Is, is that how many hours there are in a week? Right. Yeah. Because I didn't know there was going to be math in this interview. <laughs> I mean, I think I, it's been a long time since I've had a math class. So yeah. Oh, I could good. be wrong there. Yeah. But I think your point is uh, beautifully illustrated. You, you made it uh, 
personal, which I appreciate. And I know there's uh, people listening right now thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know if I'm doing this right. It's a constant um, recalibration for me. It just needs to be. Because the reality is that the way that our... Uh, the way that our society is right now, the way that our technology is right now, there is going to be the constant pull toward the far away over the near. We're going to be constantly pulled to give more and more of our time, attention, and energy to what um, uh, what one author calls distant dramas as opposed to the responsibilities that God has put right in our lap, right outside our front door at home. And so for me, it's just it's like every few weeks I feel like I need to uh, okay, hold on here. How am I spending my time? <laughs> yeah. Why did I give all my attention here today instead of there? So it's a, actually a good lesson for me too, because as you host a, a radio show and, you know, when I call you to come on, I assume you want to come on because A, you're a great guest. B, you've got wonderful content to share with listeners. But what's not in my head is what am I asking Scott to do that's taking away from some other responsibility? So yeah. That's a good lesson for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's good to have in mind. That's right. Every time we say yes to something that is more far, farther away, yeah. and more outside the concentric you're saying circles, you're no to something. You're saying no to something closer to home. Yeah. That's right. And so, if those things closer to home are not in a good spot, then saying yes farther away is probably almost always unwise. Mm-hmm. So, when you talk about home, and you, you talk about this in your article, that it's the most remarkable place on earth because God has placed you there. That's probably a really good line just for us to think about for a minute <laughs> because it's pretty spectacular to think that you were born yeah. in the century you were born in, in the place you were born in, yeah. in the neighborhood you you live in. I mean, it's it's nothing is inconsequential in God's economy. That's right. Why weren't you born in the 17th century on some mountain in the Himalayas? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Only because God said so. He fixed the boundaries of our dwelling place. Yeah. So if we have something in our hearts that say God is amazingly good and gracious with me and this place that he has let me live in called home and this earthly home is remarkable and I stand in wonder about that. Yeah, that's right. There's a kind of a disposition that I think God would have us inhabit day to day, which is to say there is certainly always more to see in the place that I live than I have yet seen. And I want to see more of it today. I want to see more of the wonders that are right beneath my feet, more mm-hmm. of the uh, glory that is there in the images of God walking past me. Yeah. Scott, I have a tendency of looking through the obituaries about every week where I'll sit down and read all mm-hmm. of them. And mm-hmm. just because they're basically a person's life story in a couple of paragraphs. Yeah. So I'm always curious as to how they've summarized their life. And some of my favorites are, yeah, he had this job, but you know what he really cared about was you know, afternoons playing catch with his son and not missing a, uh, any game or any recital. Yeah. And the countless uh, weekends at the lake where they fished and they sat around the campfire and they talked about God. And yeah. you think, I, I don't know how much money that guy made. It doesn't matter. That's right. He hit it out of the park. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. because he was living where God had placed him and doing what God uh, put on his heart to do. Yeah, oh, that's so good. Good for me to hear too. Yeah, it is. It is. So... Um, Scott Hubbard is my guest, and we're talking about uh, Live Where You Live, Practicing a Lifestyle of Presence. All of Scott's articles are up at DesiringGod.org. You can always head over there and just type his name into the search engine, or you can type in this article because we have talked about uh, things. If you want to refer back to it, they're all they're all here in this article. And 
when you uh, talk about um, people feeling like they're displaced or they're they don't feel settled, have they lost touch with what God is doing and done in their life, or is that kind of a, a natural wanderlust that people have? Well, it's uh, I think natural in terms of natural to our fallen state. Okay. Uh, I doubt it will be natural in heaven. <laughs> All right. right. In the new heaven and new earth. But for, for, for this life, yes. I don't think we can, you know, always expect to live in a, in a, in a state of perpetual wonder and amazement. No. Uh, it's this, exhausting. This world is fallen. We're yeah. fallen. Yeah. And um, many days are going to feel remarkably normal. But I do think that there is... Um, it may it may suggest something something more more deeply off if that uh, sense of disillusionment or mundaneness is leading us to live more and more and more of life farther away. If instead of pressing in and being faithful and enduring in the place where God has us and asking Him for open eyes, then uh, we're but we're actually you know just traveling farther and farther away on our phones, on our TVs, etc. I think that's a real indication of something off. Great reminder. Once again, you've uh, you've given us a lot to think about and you have made us evaluate our priorities and how we're living our days. And that was uh, all very helpful. I'm speaking it right now for me. So thanks, Scott. Yeah, very glad to be here. Yeah, Scott Hubbard is an editor for Desiring God. He's also a pastor at All People's Church. He's a graduate of Bethlehem College and Seminary. And his wife uh, lives with his two sons right here in Minneapolis. Always glad to see him. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.